enjoyed that, yes boy. Me oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Me oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Me oh my, I have enjoyed that. Me oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Me oh my, I have enjoyed that. Kia ora and welcome back to another episode of Code with Kingy, where we are recapping the All Blacks historic loss to Argentina in the Tri-Nations, and helping me break it all down is my old university mate, Adam Pierce. Enjoy. Welcome back, Adam, uh, to Code with Kingy, where we are covering a second consecutive loss for the All Blacks, the first time uh, since 2011. Um, yeah, I, I won't waste any time, mate. Uh, what did you take away from the All Blacks 25-15 to 15 loss to Argentina in Sydney on Saturday night? Well, I mean, there's, there's quite a bit to say, but um, I think the first thing you have to say is, um, you know, you've got to be ready to eat a bit of humble pie after last week's pod, claiming that the ABs were going to run right against the Argies, uh, turned out to be quite possibly the worst call ever. Um, however, like like good commentators do, you always leave yourself an out, and we did say, did we not, that, uh, you know, if the Argies did score early, and the ABs dropped their lip, and RG's accumulated points that uh, they were always going to be in the game. And that's pretty much exactly what they did. You know, they played the perfect game that they could have in the circumstances. You know, it's just, you kept waiting for their defence to crack, and it didn't. You know, they played with that passion that they're so renowned for. Sanchez was brilliant at 10. You know, he had that creativity, but balanced it with security. You know, he gave his team that flair but also controlled the game so well. I think there's been a lot of praise for them over the last couple of days, and, and rightly so, but I almost think there hasn't been enough. Because you, you can imagine the mental preparation required for this game against you know the most renowned rugby team in the world, probably not the best team in the world, certainly not now, but they've played bugger all rugby, 12 players and their coach has got COVID or something like that, and they've turned up, against the All Blacks and absolutely smash them. I mean, there's just, uh, it is really amazing what they've accomplished and you can see how much it means to them after that game. You know, the, the emotion, it's so raw. I think that emotional aspect was probably what carried them straight through. I think there was a lot of arrogance shown by the All Blacks in that first 20 minutes where I think that the, well, I think the thought process for them was, you know, the Argentinians haven't played a lot of rugby, they're going to be green and that they're going to get on top of them early, but they didn't. And then I think as the game sort of went into a flow, the All Blacks were like, they just increasingly got frustrated at, at the fact that they couldn't make any breaks and that the rubber, the green did seem to go the Argentinians' way. I think the one thing that I took away from the game as a whole, not to sort of jump a couple of steps, was the fact that it seems as if for the second week in a row, teams aren't scared of the All Blacks. Now, I know that goes without saying when you go into a test match, but the, particularly after the hucker, there seems to be this sort of nervousness shown by teams typically when they're playing the All Blacks it's almost as if they've got to get over that hump and pretty much have the rubber the green in, in the fact that the All Blacks don't have a lot of things go their way so that they can't get that momentum going early but I think the fact that the All Blacks couldn't get going couldn't get going early and the Argentinians were up from it from the get-go I mean you, you looked at the the face of Pablo Matera during that hucker and he was almost like embracing it whereas like I know a lot of guys put on a, on a brave face but I can only you know I mean, I can't even imagine what it's like to face the hucker right before a test match. And in a lot of ways, I've, it's a weird thing because I know that there's been a lot of talk about it previously and the fact that it's almost like, it almost gives the All Blacks a psychological edge right before the kickoff. But, yeah, it didn't seem to 
deter the Argentinians at all. And like you mentioned, uh, Nicolas Sanchez, the man of the match, he was he was absolutely brilliant. And, and I, I think I think you summed it up perfectly in, in the fact that he always posed a threat, but he never overplayed his hand. And especially like off the tee, I mean, besides that one shot at goal, which was a pretty tricky one, like if we're being um, particularly honest, uh, yeah, he was absolutely outstanding, and he was on hand to score the try, which is what typically happens when you sort of hit that purple patch uh, during a game where, you know, it's just one of those games where things keep going his way and he just kept the points ticking over. But, yeah, and I think the other thing that... Oh, it's funny that you mentioned that you had an out last week. I, I'm pretty sure if, if I go back and remember what I said, I thought that the All Blacks, even if they were down 20 points, and I remember even messaging you at halftime during the game, I was like, well, I'm going to see whether or not my words are going to come true here, whether the All Blacks can come back from this deficit. Um, obviously, they didn't. But uh, I think if there is some silver lining to take from that game, I actually like the injection that Brad Webber and Damian McKenzie brought off the bench. And I think that had Hoskins Satutu's pass with 10 minutes to go, with the one where he threw the missed pass off the back of the scrum, where he carried really well and he didn't quite hit McKenzie in stride or he hit him around the knees, I think that might have been a bit of a changing point. But again, you know, that, that, that's a shoulda, coulda, woulda moment. And like you said, you do have to praise the Yardies, but... Um, yeah, like being perfectly honest, that was probably the worst all-black performance that I've ever seen. Now, I only go back as far as probably 2005 in terms of my recollection as an adult, but yeah, that was, it was just stale. Like the, the all-blacks posed no threat. I think the fact that the Argentinians kept making their tackles and, and frustrating the all-blacks, there just was no plan B there, and it was almost like they were just shifting the ball from side to side, getting nowhere. They turned the ball over, similar to what was happening against Australia last week. And the Argentinians just plugged the corners, you know, kept ball in hand and, and kicked the points when the penalties came their way. And, you know, the, the fact that they got that, that try in the first half was really a reward for all of the hard work that they were doing on defence. And, I mean, to be perfectly honest, like that, that consolation try at the end wasn't really, you know, it didn't really mean anything to me. And this was one of the rare occasions where I've seen the All Blacks actually outplayed. Like, yes, they didn't play very, very well themselves, but... I, I, I hadn't seen a performance like that arguably since probably the Springboks dominated um, before the turn of last decade. So, I mean, they were boring, yeah. really. At the end of the day, they were boring. There's, there's no other way to put it. They, they looked out of ideas. They didn't have creativity on attack. They, and exactly what you're saying, there's no ability to shift to that plan B. You know, you'd watch them... You'd watch they don't them have one. They don't, they don't have a plan B. Exactly. They'd run up against the Argies line, not get through, and, and look at each other and go, well, let's try it again. And, I mean, if you take the definition of stupidity of doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result well you call the All Blacks the stupidest bastards in the place you know it's just it, it really it didn't look good for, for from any angle really you know and, and one thing I've picked you know you look at Sanchez and you say how how he did have that balance of creativity and security I mean I think that's a tag that we often assign Bowden Barrett and you know hearing from from players who have played with him in the past you know, when they're out of ideas, they often pass it to him and see what he conjures up. Because so often, he does bail his teams out of trouble. But the Argies had him covered. They had Caleb Clark covered. You know, and I feel sorry for, for Clark because, you know, he scores his first try in the first ever loss to Argentina. Like you say, that try means bugger all. And exactly what you were saying around that, uh, that half-time mark or just going into that final 20 minutes... Even I still had a little inkling of hope saying, right, you know, we've, we've waited for this All Blacks team that's going to put the, put the pedal to the floor and go hard for that last 20 minutes. But really there wasn't one, you know, and I'd, 
you know, a, a halfback like yourself, you know, clearly recognised the injection of Brad Weber, and uh, that was something you called last week. So it's a tick in, tick in your column, mate. Uh, but um, you know, yes, they had Weber, they had Satutu, who who brought on, you know, a bit of a bit of pace and a bit of energy. But but really, it was uh, it wasn't impressive. There wasn't much there, even in that last twenty minutes when the when Argentina should have been gas. And to be fair, they they did lose a bit of their intensity. But credit to them, they didn't they didn't let the All Blacks in until right towards the end. It was something that I mentioned last week around the All Blacks needing discipline both on defence and and on attack, and and it was that discipline on attack that they just didn't have. So many times you see that ball spilled or that pass going to ground like that one from Satutu, and this is the stuff that we're not used to seeing from the All Blacks, and and uh, I think there's going to be some real hard questions posed this week. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, like if we go to the stats. Two clean breaks from the All Blacks. Two clean breaks in an 80-minute game when you've got a back line with Anton Leonard-Brown, Jack Goodhue, Richie Wanger. You mentioned Bowden Barrett and, and, and the threat that he poses usually. Caleb Clark, who's been a bit of a, rele- a revelation since he's come onto the test scene. And then you've got Geordie Barrett, who I think, if I'm looking at my stats correctly, he only, he only ran for less than a handful of metres. And by handful, I mean five. So as in, he ran for less than five meters across his time on the pitch. Now I know he took that he took that not quite early, which is very rare to see for a big fella like him. But I guess that was just a reflection of the intensity that the Argentinians played with. And I don't know what it is. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I like the mongrel that Sam Whitelock and Dane Coles bring to the game. But you look at some of the cheap penalties that those fellas were given away just by almost. I don't think intimidation is the right word, but but get under the opposition's skin. But it didn't work last week against the Australians. They didn't back down, and the Argentinians almost took it in their stride. Well, they, they, t- they took it as a sign of disrespect and didn't really get flustered by it and just played on. I mean, you take the remarks that, that Mateta said during the game in the first half, and he you know he, he did. He thought it was disrespectful the way that the All Blacks were conducting themselves because, you know, this is a game of rugby, and, he, and he's representing his country, and I don't know. It's, the, the, the All Blacks have, I mean... <laughs> I'm not one of those guys to jump to conclusions, but for the second week in a row, there's just no fear around the All Blacks. And typically, like teams have a very hard time getting over that hump and thinking that they can beat the All Blacks, but the All Blacks are very vulnerable at the moment. Like, if, if we were to throw this team over to Europe and have them go up against probably every team outside of Italy and the Six Nations, judging of what we've seen so far in both the Bledisloe Cup test and the Tri-Nations... I mean, like, like you said, I mean, going back to some of your remarks last week, if I was a betting man, I'm, I'm not sure that, you know, I'd put the house on the All Blacks. Certainly because, not now. Certainly no, not now. And, and, and I don't know, like, what's gone wrong from Eden Park, Sydney, and then the past two weeks in Brisbane and then back in Sydney again. Like, I mean, what did these guys train all week? I mean, like, they, they talked a big game last week saying, you know, this is unacceptable, yada, yada, yada. You know, we'll get our prep right this week and make sure that we're up for it against Argentina. But there was no fire in the belly on Saturday. There was like no one, maybe outside of perhaps Joe Moody, um, who who got through a truckload of work. But even then, the All Black scrum wasn't as dominant as what you'd like to see with with a specialist sort of scrummager in Tyrell Lomax. But yeah, it's it has left a lot of big questions to be asked. I mean, like it's it's sort of awkward now because. 
it's not like this last test against the Argentina is sort of in cruise mode and, you know, then, then you rock into next year being like, okay, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll figure it out. The All Blacks need to win that next test because, I mean, like, if the alarm bells aren't already sounding now, I mean, I, I mean, I think the world will end if we lose next week. But I, I, I think even looking forward, I mean, the fact that, you know, a lot was made of Richie Mwanga's performance and the difference between what happened in Sydney against the Wallabies when they thrashed him and this time round, but... And there's been talk of like letting Bowden Barrett go back to ten, but Bowden Barrett's not here next year. He's over in Japan. And then there's the talk about whether or not Geordie's a, a genuine test winger, and the fact that he was found out against a team that had obviously game planned for him. But yeah, it, 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 Ian Foster, John Plumtree, and Brad Moore are in a very, very awkward place right now because I think they were sort of looking at that last test as another opportunity to perhaps throw out their A2 team. But now it's pretty much a, a win at all costs. I mean, I know that Ian Foster's contract runs through to the end of next year, but by crikey, I mean, if he loses next week, and I mean, I was saying that this week, I mean, in terms of like losing their first ever test to the Argentinians, I mean, like, I, I, I do not want to be in that All Blacks changing room come next weekend if they fall on the wrong side of the ledger. Definitely not. I mean, if if we touch on changes, personally, you know, maybe they might change one or two, but but you're not going to. Personally, I don't think they're going to change change a thing. Maybe one one position because last week was arguably a full strength All Black side, and they need to put out a performance against in the second game against Argentina. They need to stamp their authority and. You know, I'd, around that conversation around the fear of the All Blacks, you know, I've and it's with re, special re, respect to the Hucker, you know, I've always, I haven't always liked that argument that uh, the Hucker gives the All Blacks an advantage before game time. Yes, it'll g them up, but I mean, like you say, if you look at Argentina as they were receiving that Hucker, they were just as g'd up. And personally, I think they go onto that field pretty equal. But they need the All Blacks need to reinstate their authority with the performance and I don't think changing the changing the lineup is gonna is gonna help that because it was only a week ago that Plumtree was saying that all those changes were affecting the rhythm. So I think it's gotta be it's gotta be the same and, and they've got to G it up. But I think the one of the most telling things from from that game was that it was still the push and shove and you mentioned the Dane Coles incident and you know Shannon Frizzell was was up and about and and um, you know, saying how's your father to almost every Argentinian player there, but you know, it's just this. There seems to be a change in the culture with the All Blacks because this is this isn't something that I recognise. I'm not sure about you, but this isn't the All Blacks that I recognise with all the little silly push and shoves. This is this is Aussie stuff, really. You know, with no no disrespect to our Aussie cousins over there, but. Um, you know, this this isn't the stuff that that we were brought up on. This wasn't the All Blacks that we knew, and it seems like there's just not the mental preparation there. And I, I there was a an article recently that came out that said uh, you know there'll need to be a lot of work in that department because if what happens when you have a good culture, it means that you rely on your teammates and that you know that when you get into those into those final minutes that you can pull through because you've prepared well for it, both physically but also mentally, you know, and I don't think that's there at the moment. And you ask what's changed, and, and to be honest, I think the answer to that is going to be a really interesting one. It's going to be one that only those close to the group will know because it feels like there's been a change 
but it, it's not really apparent to those of us outside the circle. It, it seems like there's been quite a significant change there culture-wise and how they prepare mentally. And um, it's very concerning. It's very mm-hmm. concerning. And, and like you say around Foster, I, I never like the the arguments that after one or two bad performances, which we can put this into context, with two losses. Yes, it hasn't been since bloody 2011 and we, we've never lost the Argies before, but put it into context, it's two games and two losses. You know, teams have done that before and, the, and they've bounced back. But I don't like the argument that says Foster has to go now. However, you know, what, what was New Zealand rugby expecting when they just hired the next cab off the rank, you know, the man under Hanson to, to continue the All Blacks legacy to, to drive that machine? Because what they lacked on, on, on Saturday, on the game, was, was ingenuity, creativity. And I guarantee you, if Rays is their coach, if Scotty is their coach, there is no way they put out a performance like that for the whole 80. Maybe it's 40, but you can guarantee you at that halftime talk that Razor is digging into the boys and saying, right, we need to change this up because it isn't working. And really, while Foster probably won't go, it's it really is just another case for Razor getting in there, whether it's a year, whether it's two years down the track. And they're going to see better results, I think, anyway. Yeah, I mean, you point to Razor, and you just have to look at the Crusaders. I mean, like there have been games where the Crusaders have been outplayed for 60 minutes, 70 minutes. But it's the fact that the Crusaders had this ability, and, and it stemmed from the top. I mean, you look at the, the the work that Todd Blackadder did with the Crusaders prior to Scott Robertson taking over, and the fact that he could never win a chip. And then Robertson comes in, takes over practically the same playing group, and he's won four consecutive Super Rugby titles, well, three consecutive Super Rugby ones, and then obviously this year's one was Super Rugby Aotearoa. So... And you only have to go back and look at some of the success he had with Canterbury and then prior to that, the, the under-20s program that he took over. But for me, I mean, like, if you look back at Steve Hansen, maybe not so much Graham Henry, and I can't say that I was the biggest fan of Steve Hansen, but he always had this smugness about him and this quiet arrogance. And I think that sort of showed in the way that the All Blacks played. Um, whether or not we like to admit it as Kiwis, that there was this arrogance around the All Blacks. But I guess that's what sort of drove them. And, and you talk about the culture there, but if I was to sum up Saturday's performance, this one just gone in one word um, without going too over the top, I just thought it was stale. And when I look at Ian Foster, he's stale. Like, if you listen to him talk in any press conference, does he, like, sound like a winner? Hmm. To me, he doesn't. Like, like he, he might be the nicest guy in the world off the pitch and, you know, like come the time I ever get to meet him, if that happens, you know, he might be my best mate. We might hit it off. Who knows? But just from looking at him in that All Blacks head coaching role, which like like anything, you know, a fish rots from the head or, you know, all the good stuff drips down from the top. The last couple of weeks when there have been some tough questions asked and the All Blacks have needed to ask them, uh, answer them, sorry, they haven't. And if anything, they've actually taken another backward step off the back of their loss to Australia uh, two weekends ago. So, yeah, I, and, and that's the thing. I, I don't know really where the All Blacks go from there. So, yep, they're going to regroup. They obviously had their review today and they'll be hurting and, and they'll probably have a bit of time off this week to just cruise and take their mind off buddy before cracking into it the last week in the hope that they're still in contention for the Tri-Nations. But, yeah, in terms of keeping that group together... I mean, you mentioned someone like Shannon Frizzell. He had 
he's really under-delivered off the back of the promise that he showed at the Super Rugby level. And just a guy that I want to throw out there that I think actually would make a world of difference and um, is something that I, I've sort of like take, you know, I, I went away from Saturday's game and, you know, I, I tried to sort of step out of the box and take all, all of my own sort of um, biases and whatever. And I throw out the name like a Brody Retallick. Now, I know that you've got Sam Whitelock, who's what our second or third most capped All Black ever behind McCaw and Reed, and, and he did a bloody good job against Australia at both Eden Park, um, well, no, not Eden Park, sorry, because he had the head knock at, in Sydney when he came back from it, and the last two weeks he's been pretty stagnant, but I mean, if, I only take the Brodie Retallick example because I, I draw on the success that the Chiefs had, or the lack of it that they had in Super Rugby Aotearoa, and I just think there's just this lack of grunt or I don't know, fear or sort of mongrel in our All Blacks forward pack. And, you know, we lacked it last year at the World Cup with not having a genuine blindside. And, yeah, I just think like someone like a Brodie Retallick coming in there, you know, don't get me wrong, I think that Patrick Tuipolotu has come a long way, but he hasn't quite kicked on from, similar to Brazil, the, the, the promise that he showed at the Super Rugby level. And we're really, really lacking in the front row. I think that Dane Coles, well, you know, he'll get stuck in and, and get into it. Um, in all honesty, I, I haven't actually been all that impressed by his play. Similar to Cody Taylor, I, I don't think either of them have played their best footy in 2020. And obviously we had Joe Moody go down with an injury the last couple of weeks and he came back and like I said, I, I thought that he, he went all right. But the All Black scrum wasn't great. The, the line-out wasn't as dominant as it was in previous weeks. And yeah, like don't get me wrong, like Sam Kane, you know, he, he battles like a trooper. But I think that one of the other big things you got to take away is the leadership and the lack thereof it. Because when the All Blacks conceded that try, I don't know, they just looked like a deer in headlights. There was no, like, you know, reassuring feeling where, you know, where the boys come in and they're like, no, you know, boys, we're good, we're sweet. It was almost like, fuck, where do we go from here? Because, yeah. and, and, and that's how, and, and the game just kept playing out like that. They were almost like looking around like, is someone going to do something? Is someone going to do something? And it just never eventuated. And the Argentinians just get going bang, 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 three, bang, 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 three. And that that's literally, I, I guess, a summing up of what happened. And then full time happened. And, I mean, yeah, we scored the try at the end. But it, it, was, it was. It was really weird to watch. Because like you said, like we were almost just, like, like we said with that last 20, we were, we were looking at our screens thinking, like, come on, boys, we'll, we'll kick it into gear. But no one was wanting to stick their hand up and be like, boys, follow me. Exactly. It's personal responsibility. And, and I think what most people have taken away from that performance is that they look like a team of individuals rather than, than a cohesive unit. And you do have to feel sorry for, for Kane because he always puts in a consistent performance. Uh, and you can never doubt that. But maybe this is just a transition that every new captain has to go through. You know, when when you're the captain, when you especially when you're the new captain of such a high-profile team, you know, it's never going to be easy. And I think we often, we, we glaze over those troubles and the fact that actually it's not just a given that you're going to take the mantle of captaincy and take it in your stride. I mean, it's something that we see, you know, it's, it's not directly relevant or, you know, it's, it's not, uh, you can't apply it to both. But similar in cricket, when you, when you become captain, it impacts all the rest of your game. It's not just something that you can take and then just add to the CV and it doesn't make a make an impact. It, it changes your entire game. And perhaps this is just something that, that Kane isn't as 
adept to as you know a Richie McCaw, which is you know quite understandable. But I mean, bringing back to your point about Brody Retallick, I mean, you take nothing away from the form of of Paddy Tuipulotu and uh, and Sam Whitelock because they have they have been good. They haven't been they haven't been failures by any stretch of, stretch of the imagination. But you ask yourself this question: Would you ever doubt that Brody Retallick's focused? And to, to me, the answer is no. He's always he's always working hard. He always knows where he needs to go. You know, I, I know. I remember just thinking about it. Now he's he's always been involved in a bit of push and shove, but that doesn't distract him because he always knows where he's going and he knows his job. And at the moment, it seems like the All Blacks are just getting distracted by the push and shove. And something I was meant to say before, you know, they the the All Blacks got into that push and shove, and I wonder whether it was almost a bit of a tactic because the Argies would often respond to that. But if anything, it G'd the Argies up, and it almost made the All Blacks look like schmucks, really, because the Argentinians just did it so much better. They came up with so much more passion, and when the All Blacks tried to do their own little thing, like Dane Cole slapping that guy in the face, you know, it's just... It's just embarrassing, really, at the end of the day. You know, I'm not advocating going full on, but like, just don't don't embarrass yourself like that, you know? And, and he, uh, you saw his reaction after that, and, and it was fairly innocuous. But if, if you're going to do, well, just don't do something like that, you know? Don't put yourself in that position where you're going to compromise the team's success just for getting in a cheap shot because you think it might roll them up. When really, you're just playing into a t- For a team like that who plays off passion, you're just playing into their hands. Yeah, 100%. And I think if you're going to talk, maybe be a bit more sneaky about it. I think he was just totally unaware of the fact that Angus Gardner was behind him. And like you said, what, what could have been the All Blacks kick into the corner, I think ended in three points or close to it. So, yeah. And I, I mean, like, the only reason I touch on Brady Vitellick, because if we go back to last year's World Cup, Brody Retallick was playing at probably 70% after injuring his shoulder earlier that year when the All Blacks drew with the Springboks. Um, and, and for me, like from what I've seen so far, he's probably the All Blacks' most important player. Now, a, a lot gets spoken about Bowden Barrett and, you know, and, and all the glitz and glamour that comes with him, but and I'm a big Bowden Barrett fan, but there have been times where Bowden has been shut down because he's been game planned for. Whereas, like, I, I can't remember Brodie Retallick ever playing a bad game in the black jersey. Now, you, you might take that 2019 Rugby World Cup semi-final as a bit of an under-par performance, but again, you have to put into context, the guy was probably playing with, like, a quarter-zone shot off after, what, I think he... He damaged his AC or something like that. It was, it was a pretty horrific shoulder injury. Well, he was in a lot of agony um, that, that mm-hmm. night in Wellington after he did it. And, yeah, for me, I think you, just, you you look at what happened with the Chiefs this year, and I think that he would have made a world of difference had he been there. And I, and I think that's sort of stemming to, to the All Black team. And, again, just talking about the, the lack of leadership that you know is just evident now. Because, for me, like, even though... Someone like Kieran Reid probably wasn't the, the leader that Richie McCaw was, and I don't think we'll ever have a leader like Richie McCaw. There was just this this calming feeling, and, and, and it showed in a lot of games. I mean, I, I touch back to the one that springs to mind was that win in Dunedin against the Wallabies where Curly Beale scored under the post with like four minutes to go. Now, if that had happened to the All Blacks of now, or you know, the present All Blacks, we wouldn't have scored that try when Bowden Barrett got the offload off TJ Pedernada and, and scored the game winner with I think with, with two minutes to go, and I think that's like you said that that's that culture thing where I think that 
everybody knows their role and everybody knows that, yep, you know, if we can see a couple of points and if things aren't going our way, we'll roll with it, you know, not let it frustrate us. And, you know, we know that our break will come if we just are persistent with the game plan and staying composed. But that just hasn't been the case for the All Blacks the past two weekends. And, yeah, like you said, there are going to be some 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 pretty sorry guys. Well, you know, that they probably were some pretty sorry guys in today's review. And they're going to be uh, a couple of tough questions asked or quite a few tough questions asked over the next week or so. But just for you, bro, before I let you go, I mean, like, where did the All Blacks go from here? I mean, you mentioned the fact that you don't think you changed the lineup, but like last test of the year, before you go into the summer break, you need to win it. Do the All Blacks stick to the tried and true? Or, you know, do they bring out their plan B that they haven't shown yet that maybe they're keeping under wraps? I don't know. I mean, like, I, I really am sort of stuck for what, what to expect from the All Blacks or, or where they go from there. Yeah, it's like, yep, you know, nail your core roles and execute. But if the Argies come out with the same tactics as they did on the weekend, which was just tackle your heart out and take the three when it's on offer, judging from what I've seen from the All Blacks the past two weeks when that's happened, they don't know what to do or they, they can't flip the game on its head and swing momentum back their way. Because, again, like there's this persistence to play running rugby, but sometimes it's okay to play ugly and the All Blacks just didn't want to do it. Yeah, well, the game plan's stale. I mean, I think that's that's clear to see. Um, and we don't want to, you know, dramatise this too much and, and say you've got to throw everything out because you're just going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But exactly, you know, it's um it's something that they're going to have to they're going to have to address. And well, for me, thinking about it now, if if anyone thought that Argentina are going to come out at that same level that they were at last week. You, you're kidding yourself. They're going to be two, three, four, ten levels up after beating the All Blacks for the first time ever. Yep. The All Blacks need to be expecting a torrent because it, it's going to come. You know, Argentina is not the team that are going to rest on their laurels after beating the All Blacks once. They're not going to say, well, one and done, that's us. You know, we're, we're going to phone this in. They're going to want to finish this game off and finish the ABs off. You know, and it's something... They need they need to go back to basics. Yes, that's it's a bit of a redundant answer, but they they need to look at why they have such successful players. It's because they play with individual flair and creativity. Now, it was something I was talking to an experienced coach about this uh, the other day, and and he was saying, you know, once players get into the All Blacks machine, that's that's where things go wrong. Because if we look at Mata Ten and and we look at Super Rugby, we see great players flourish i mean if we look as as a uh, as a recent example will jordan is a perfect uh, perfect example of this where he's given the room and the ability to do what he needs to do to express himself as a rugby player and what this coach is saying is that once you get into the all blacks machine you lose that ability you know you become part of this machine and you fit into the game plan and if you don't fit then you're replaced by the next cap off the ranks because the depth is is so plentiful uh so i mean it really needs to be a basic one this week personally i don't think they need to be changing too much about their game and how they play the game it's how they approach it it's how they mentally prepare it's that culture it's getting getting to a place where they can be down 10, 15 points and they might not get the bounce of the ball or the rub of the green and they are able to pick themselves up and carry on. I mean, in, in the grand scheme of things, 
I think I I you never like to see the All Blacks lose, but when the All Blacks do lose, it's a good time for New Zealand rugby and New Zealand rugby fans to recalibrate their expectations of the All Blacks because you know there was a time when you thought the All Blacks weren't going to lose. And it's just because they didn't. They looked so good and they looked so dominant that they just didn't lose, you know. And they won back-to-back World Cups because of that. Um, but, you know, consistency breeds complacency. And this is what I'm talking about around uh, Foster. If you're just going with the next cab off the rank, you're just going with the same thing if you're going Henry, Hans, and Foster and you're not breaking it up with a with a Razor or, or someone like that, then what do, you, what do you expect at the end of the day? So... And I think I think we need to give Foster some credit here. He knows what he's doing. And um, while I definitely look forward to that podcast where you interview him and, and replay that quote that you called him stale, um, you know, he, he knows what he's doing and he knows how to get his players up. I believe that anyway. So I think it's just about that mental preparation personally for me. And, you know, as far as calls for Foster to go, uh, I read a piece by Phil Gifford the other day around you know, calls for Henry to go after 07. Um, people were baying for his head at that point and, and look what he managed to do. So, you know, it's it's a chance here for the All Blacks to put put a flag in the ground and say, right, this is, this is what we are, this is what we're about, and really end the year on a high and go into the next year saying, right, we made some mistakes. We certainly showed people how to beat us. How can we fix that? How can we get back to the point where we dominate? And that really is the question. And, and whether they're able to do that under Foster, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I think they'd have a better chance under Razor, but um, I suppose we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, totally. And I mean, touching on the point that you made with the Argies and the, the idea that they're going to take a backward step or that they're going to be happy with their 1-1 against the All Blacks, I, I think you're spot on. And unfortunately for the All Blacks, all the pressure's on them. Even after the Argentinians won, all the pressure's back on the All Blacks. So it's all, the Argentinians actually have an easier run going into this game because the All Blacks need to win it. Um, and I think from what we've seen so far, the All Blacks don't deal with pressure well. So, yeah, it, this is going to be... I, I think this game is going to be an even bigger reveal than what we've seen so far as to the backbone and the character and the culture within this current All Black setup. And I mean, like, I, my, my only, well, my hate, and I don't want to call it hate, but I guess my my scepticism with, with Ian Foster and his appointment was the fact that he just, if, if you go back and look at his coaching history outside of his assistant role with the All Blacks, his track record isn't that great. Similar to what Scott Robertson did when top when Todd Blackadder was the coach and, and he takes over that team and he wins consecutive Super Rugby titles, it's what Dave Rennie did when he took over the role from Ian Foster at the Chiefs. Um, and I mean, you, you mentioned Graham Henry and and you know the the um, the catastrophe that was 2007 when we when we bowed out in the quarterfinals. And yep, Graham Henry didn't have the greatest run when he was the Welsh coach and with the British and Irish Lions, but he did have a pretty good track record with Auckland and the Blues. And I guess like that's that's where I'm in agreement with you. I think the fact that Scott Robertson has run, has run, has won wherever he's been, I just thought, you know, this is the perfect opportunity, like you said, to, to break the mould um, and get away from, I guess, a, a similar 
grouping or a similar culture that had been around from Henry Hansen and now with Foster. And yeah, to just bring in something fresh, but I mean, I'm a big fan of the writer um, Hamish Bidwell, who's writing for RNZ at the moment, and he's been very, very critical of the All Black setup and um, in the NZRU's appointment of the current All Black setup. And um, yeah, I mean, he just pointed to the fact that, you know, there just, there seems to be this culture within the NZRU that if it's if it isn't broke, broken, don't fix it. You know, which in some cases is true, but yeah, I, I just thought that, you know, and I think that you'll agree with me, I thought this was the perfect opportunity off the back of the World Cup to bring in someone who's just going to come to the table with a fresh set of ideas and not carry over, perhaps, what Foster has from, from Hanson and, like you said, being a bit more creative, being a bit more innovative. And from what I've heard with Scott Robertson, you know, you know the boys love him. Like, he's a player's first coach, you know, a, a player coach first and forehand. But outside of that, we've seen you know the tactical side that he brings under his um, his reign as the Crusaders coach. But anyway, bro, like if, if I keep going, I'll, I'll end up rambling about you know all my other opinions. So we'll wrap it up there, bro. But I've thoroughly enjoyed having you on the podcast, Adam. I, I really appreciate your insight and, and the time you've taken to join me on Cove with Kingy. And I'll uh, I'll have to get you on the podcast sometime next year, my man, um, because. Yeah, you've, uh, you've you've really opened my eyes to a lot of things, and yeah, I, I just I appreciate um, everything you've done over the past week. Kia ora, mate. I look forward to it. All right, bro. Catch you later. Sure.